Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, my friends, I want to let you all know that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead, after being knocked down, is now available for pre-order. I'll make sure the link is available in the show notes below. All right, my friends, let's do the show. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome, everyone, to the Storybox. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the story box together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. My friends, did you know that an estimated 70 million people in just the United States alone, I'm sure this number would be enormously larger if you're to include other countries, but 70 million people in the United States are affected by a nasty or two nasty diseases known as SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, and IBS, irritable bowel syndrome. I've had both. I still have IBS today because that's one of the things that never goes away. Once you have it, you just learn how to manage it. Uh, And it is nasty. It is not fun. These two are just one of the dozens of other diseases linked to your digestive health. And 74% of Americans that were surveyed say they live with symptoms of digestive discomfort. And if you've ever lived with digestive discomfort, you know the pain that I'm talking about. It is not fun at all. But your diet has a significantly great impact on your digestive health and personal microbiome. And choosing which foods to eat can be frustratingly challenged. I know that to be very, very true in my life. I know when I had SIBO, uh, unfortunately, IBS never goes away. You just learn how to manage it. But with SIBO, the symptoms of that are incredibly nasty. You are constantly, constantly craving sugar-based foods. You're constantly bloated all the time. You're gassy. I know this is not exactly the most pleasant thing to be talking about, but hey, it is life and Uh, If you are walking around or living life with these terrible digestive discomforts, then I hope that this conversation will help you even more so today. And my my next conversation for you guys on Wednesday with Dr. William Davis is going to be even more affirming to this conversation that you're hearing today. And same with my conversation on Friday as well with Max Lugavere. So, 
Uh, it's going to be a big week, but my guest today uh, is none other than Christina Hauser, and she has her own crazy and wild journey dealing with small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. It took several years for her to actually get this diagnosis and to create a life free of SIBO. It is not an easy thing to do, but trust me, it is the most beneficial thing you can do for your gut microbiome and you're happier and you're feeling great as a result. But Christina is the founder of Good LFE, Low Fermentation Eating. She's a busy mom of three living in Brooklyn, New York. It took several years, like I said, for her to get her diagnosis, uh, but she has multifaceted uh, products and lifestyle, uh, which all encompasses the brand of the uh, Good LFE. She focuses on the microbiome health and wellness for those struggling with SIBO and IBS, and she has a brand new Good LFE cookbook, which is low fermentation eating for SIBO, gut health, and microbiome balance. You can go and get a copy of it right now. And guess what, guys? Eating doesn't have to be so restrictive. You, There are so many amazing foods out there that are going to benefit your personal microbiome. You just got to find them and learn how to cook them correctly. Uh, but there's so many great recipes in uh, this cookbook, some of them that I have been actually creating myself, turkey meatballs. I'm not so much a fan of the fish tacos, but hey, I mean, fish tacos, if you're into that sort of stuff. Olive oil, lamb chops. I love lamb, so anything to do with that. Um, and so many other great recipes. I'll make sure the link is in the show notes below to make it easy for you guys as well. And two Great doctors, actually, Dr. Ali Rezai, who I've actually spoken to and will be releasing that one at a later date, have endorsed this book and also helped uh, to provide some great information when it comes to microbiome eating and SIBO. And my conversation with Dr. Ali Rezai, by the way, is one of the most fascinating conversations about gut health that I have ever had. It's over an hour long and that one is going to help so many of you. I just know that. But if this conversation helps anyone uh, that is listening or watching, then please do yourself a favor, go and get a copy of this book, but also share it around to your friends and your family. Let everyone know about this one. Greatly appreciate each and every one of you that keep coming back and supporting the Storybox one other thing that I do want to say before I let you uh, enjoy this conversation is if you do have the time, 10 seconds or even 30 seconds, it's all it takes to leave a rating and review over an Apple podcast, I'll be even more grateful as well. All right, my friends, you know what time it is. It is time to journey with me to the story box as we learn how to really cook the good LFE, low fermentation eating, as we listen to the incredible wisdom, the advice, and the stories of none other than Christina Hauser. Oh, thanks, Jay. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you here. I mean, I, don't, I haven't met too many people in my lifetime, that is. Uh, I'm getting to know more and more people now uh, through this podcast that have actually suffered with SIBO, so they know the kind of ailments that we both have suffered with for quite some time because it's not a pleasant or fun disease at all and even curing the damn thing takes time and effort and 
all the things. And I'm glad that you were able to create something that is going to help a lot of people, which is the Good Life Cookbook, because how you can really heal SIBO is through food. But before we dive into your backstory and all those things, my very first question for you is a question that I love starting off all my podcasts with and with all my guests. It is, what does success look like for you? Um, success has always, has always meant to help people. I mean, as a young kid, I remember I was fortunate enough to be surrounded by incredibly strong women um, who are my role models, both of my grandmothers and my mom. And the basis of everything in their projects and their intention has always been to help people. So um, every business I've I've started, every project, every um, every organization I'm part of has, you know, has that element to it. And I realized fairly quickly as a, as a teenager and young adult that the more you help people, the, the easier your life is. Somehow things just click. And um, if you really feel it in your heart and have good intentions, that is what success is. Was there more of a, a catalyst moment in your life that you realized this? Or was there a period of gradual moments that you realized that from your mom and your grandparents that this, in fact, was success in, in helping people? Um, I never really realized it, you know, I was, that's how I was raised and it was ingrained in me. Um, I think the realization came well into adulthood when I sat and started asking myself these questions, but it, it was an inherent, um, feeling, um, that has led me and, you know, carried me from project to project. I have a similar version of success in helping people. I think it's a, a selfless sort of way of looking at life. And I think if we can, if more of us can help other people in whatever way that is and endeavoring to help others live a quote good life, which is what you help people do, then that's admirable. So I just want to say, I, I love that, that definition that you just said for us. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, you know, the goal of this company of the book really was not only to keep myself on track and, and to help selfishly to get healthy and have a goal in mind, but, um, I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe how many misdiagnoses there were, you know, it, it takes six years for most people to be diagnosed with SIBO. And it felt like such an incredible waste of time. Um, and 10 to 15% of the population are walking around with it, not knowing what's wrong. And so I felt like if I, if I spent years trying to figure out what was wrong with me and found all these resources and doctors, then I might as well share it and save some people some time and, and energy. Yeah. What was the, the inception for the good life that, that company that you started, what, what brought that uh, idea to fruition? Was it actually you getting SIBO? It was. And, you know, it wasn't, I never intended on writing a cookbook. I never intended on writing, uh, on creating a company or now launching a food company. Um, this all happened sort of by accident. In 2013, I had, I delivered my third baby and due to some complications, I had to go on very strong antibiotics. 
And those antibiotics just messed my system up. I then spent two years trying to decipher what was going on. I had these very strange symptoms. I had terrible brain fog. I couldn't think. I um, was experiencing lots of bloating and had a, a big rash on my face. I went to countless doctors all over New York City, and they all told me I was insane. Ultimately, said I should probably go on antidepressants, and the consensus was I have postpartum and just deal with it. And I'm pretty stubborn and don't take, you know, no for an answer. And I knew something was wrong. So I kept digging and digging and digging. And finally, um, one of my friends recommended that I see Dr. Frank Lipman, who is an Eastern Western doctor. And it's hilarious because it took two years of going to all these doctors to then go to Dr. Lipman's office and have him take one look at my eyes and my tongue and tell me that I have SIBO. And he said to go to my GP doc, to my GP and to get a breath test, which is fairly easy to do, um, non-invasive. It takes about an hour. It's really not a big deal. And sure enough, I had it. And luckily my, my GP at the time knew of doctors uh, Rizai and Mark Pimentel at Cedar sinai And Again, somehow I had a work project in LA, which, you know, gave me the excuse to, to go see these guys. And that's how the journey started. So they started treating me. Um, doctor, I've always taken an Eastern Western approach to medicine and my health. And Dr. Rizai uh, was a bit frustrated with me at first because I refused to go on antibiotics, which is um, you know, the typical protocol. Yeah. And I said, I'm not doing it. And I asked him, well, if your wife or mother had this, what would you recommend? And he told me um, he would recommend an elemental diet, which is horrific. I don't know if you know, know much about it, but it's essentially feeding tube liquid yep. that is meant for hospital use and not to be ingested or go anywhere near your taste buds. Cause I promise you, you, you don't want, want it to really disgusting. I ended up drinking that for 28 days, no other food or anything. It was horrible. Probably the, one of the hardest things I had to do. Um, I finished that protocol and then went on a low fermentation eating plan, which doctors, Mark um, Pimentel and Ali Rizai have been developing for years. Mm. And that diet is, is similar to low FODMAP, or that's, that's the closest I can, I can explain, um, but it, has, it doesn't have as many restrictions as the low FODMAP. So for patients who have SIBO uh, for years and years, which is common, low fermentation eating um, is a better way to treat treat the illness because you won't be malnourished. Low FODMAP can be tricky for some. It's okay, you know, for short periods of time, but people really, um, uh, you know, don't benefit from, from it. Yeah. I spoke so, with, sorry, you keep going. No, no. So I mean, it really is an odyssey. So we did that. He put me on this eating plan um, and my symptoms gradually um, disappeared. And during this time, he introduced me to a wonderful nutritionist, Robin Berlin, 
um, also in LA who helped me, who helped me figure out how to eat. And one of the things I was determined not to do is to become this, you know, this burden in our household with our, with my husband and my kids. I wanted us all to share meals together. I didn't want to come go to restaurants with a massive food list and I didn't have time for it. You know, I just wanted to live a normal life with my kids and, and food is such an important way we, you know, we connect and socialize. And, and so Robin and I started looking at the, at the food list, low fermentation eating plan. And, um, I started tweaking recipes, um, to adapt to my family's favorite recipes. And then I started sharing them with the doctors and they loved them. And so over time, I started collecting these recipes, which turned into the book. This was not thought through at all. It just organically happened. I've, I've looked at your cookbook and you've got in the back, I think it's in the back of the book, you've got what foods you should eat and what foods you shouldn't eat. And I was actually speaking with Dr. Rezai not that long ago, actually, which is a fascinating conversation. I think we went for over an hour uh, talking about how SIBO happens and how you can diagnose it, how you can treat it. Uh, it's a really fascinating deep dive. So I know probably the kind of conversations you've had with him, but then also I was speaking with Dr. William Davis on Sunday and he was telling me about that breath test that you can take. It takes literally a couple of seconds to get the results back. And it tells you that you actually do have SIBO, which then once you do have that diagnosis, because it usually involves a lot of gas and uh, in, in your gut that the breath test can tell. Um, and then you can go on the, the treatment plans and usually low FODMAP diet is, is usually the way. Um, so why do you think that it takes, in your opinion, why do you think that most doctors don't recognize that you've actually got SIBO if you've got symptoms? Why do you think that was the case for you? Um, in my case, I was seeing, I was seeing specialists, um, and normally GI specialists have in their minds, bigger fish to fry than some bloating, you know? And again, in my experience, GI doctors will just lump all uh, like in their minds, mild symptoms into the IBS category. And nobody recognized SIBO as its own disorder for quite a while. You know, Dr. Mark Pimentel had definitely had some trouble convincing his colleagues of you know, of the research. I mean, the research is there. It's black and white. It's not made up. Um, so I think that that some of the doctors that I, that I saw just didn't think it was important enough. And when you have, when you're working full time and you have kids and you, everybody has busy lives these days. I'm sorry, brain fog is a real thing. It, it's, yep. It can really hinder um, your day-to-day and your career and your life, your relationships. It's horrible because it sends you down a spiral. Then you think you're depressed. You think something's wrong with you. You're self-diagnosing yourself. It's on and on and on. And, and if you don't reach, you know, if you don't figure out the root cause of these issues, it will just cause bigger problems 
for, you know, the year before I was diagnosed, I was eating a quote unquote healthy diet, only, you know, juices and salads and fibers. And I was virtually vegan and all of this stuff. And by the time I was diagnosed with SIBO, I was malnourished. My body was just not absorbing any nutrients, you know, because the bacteria takes over your small intestine where you're supposed to be absorbing nutrients um, and it blocks it. So it's quite a serious, serious issue if you don't get a handle on it. Yeah. And it can, and it can cause a myriad of other health problems too. Man, yeah. I've got, uh, what do you call it? It's autoimmune. So I've got esophagitis in my esophagus, which is all linked to IBS and SIBO, which, you know, it's all part of the, <laughs> that one system. Uh, and it's really, really difficult to actually heal the damn thing. And I was told by a number of gastros specialists like you were, it's not SIBO. I have one of them say to me, you know, I told him that I had SIBO uh, and he goes, no, 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 you didn't. And I'm like, why not? I have all these signs and symptoms that they tell you that I have. He's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm skeptical when it comes to not being diagnosed properly by a, a, a gastro. And I'm like, but I had all the signs and symptoms that you, your medical body say are a result of SIBO. And yet you're saying that you're skeptical that I've actually got it <laughs> because you haven't diagnosed the damn thing. So I completely understand like some, some doctors, you're, you're a small little cog in a massive wheel sort of thing, but that small cog is just, it's really, really important and it needs to be attended to uh, because it is extremely dangerous. Like it can, I, I had the brain fog. I, did you have the, the cravings for sugar? Oh yeah. Uh, it was unbelievable. Yeah. If I would allow myself, I would have eaten a whole chocolate cake. No problem. That's what I did. (laughs) So (laughs) I would sit on the couch with a two liter tub of ice cream, cookies and cream ice cream, smash the whole thing, not feel any different, not gain any weight one bit. And then I go get a bunch of chocolate, eat all the chocolate. Like these are bars of chocolate not feel anything, not still be hungry, still want more and then go for the cake. Like oh my gosh. it was bad. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, the, the cravings were intense, but going back to the doctors and, and our medical community, what, what scares me a little bit is that a lot of doctors that I have encountered or specifically university doctors who who are known in their field to be experts and who have written countless studies, they are incredibly reluctant to admit to new research because in some way that will delegitimize their 20 years of research. So, which, you know, I find obviously incredibly irresponsible. I feel like science should be evolving. Everybody should be taking new information and, and absorbing it and using it in their practices. So, you know, that's the scary side of medicine that um, that's happening. Well, science is the ability to question things. And I think a lot of doctors, the moment they've discovered something, 
revolving around something to do with science that they have questioned for years, they've found an answer to it. Someone else comes along, they've done research too, and it contradicts this other person's, they get a bit defensive. And so if they're high up in the medical board, then this, this other guy is with the new research, then they're more likely to squash it and say, no, 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 it doesn't revolve anything to do with this because this has been out a lot longer. And I've noticed that as well here in Australia. I'm sure it's the same in America too. It's, it's like, but how do we know what's real and what's not? But the thing is, it's not really about, it's not entirely about that because there's so many different, uh, you know, articles out there. So many different people have researched a, a variety of different illnesses. So there's a lot of information out there, but you know, I think it's to it's to, more towards looking at, okay, well, uh, this is right for me. This works for me. This information works for me rather than the broad sort of thing. I don't know if that made any sense. <laughs> I was going on a little bit of a last second tangent. <laughs> uh, it did. I mean, science in some ways has become, and medicine, it's a huge business, right? But everyone needs to advocate for themselves, no matter how great your doctors are, what universities they're teaching at, and what books they've written. If what they're telling you doesn't, doesn't feel right and doesn't make sense, then you have to keep digging. And advocating for your health is the most important thing we can do. You know, as mothers, we, you know, we for, we often forget about our own health and put it on the back burner because our kids are more important and our families are more important. But, you know, if we don't look after ourselves, then no one's going to be left to look after these kids um, and families. So, you know, another goal or what I hope I can convey is that message to people like, you know, what I say might not work for, for some SIBO patients or IBS patients, but um, if it does resonate with you, I, you know, great. Uh, but everyone is so different. Mm. And only you know how you feel. What was the, the research like for you in terms of finding the right kinds of foods that are low in fermentation or, or yeah, pretty much low fermentation uh, and then coming up with recipes that appeal to people that aren't sort of, no, 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 I don't like the way that sounds, all that sort of stuff. So what was the research like for you? Well, the research was quite easy. I just stole Mark and Elise's research. <laughs> um, prior to meeting them, the research was exhausting because if you go online and research these symptoms, IBS will pop up and you'll inevitably end up at the low FODMAP diet. And then there are three versions of the low FODMAP diet. So if you cross-reference all of these ingredients, you end up with like three foods. Um, and I remember going to a friend's anniversary dinner at this really beautiful restaurant and coming in with a massive pamphlet of what not to eat. And the poor chef was like, well, how about you just tell me what you can eat? Because <laughs> we ended up with grilled chicken. Um, so prior to finding Cedar sinai Mass Program and these amazing doctors, it was really difficult. And the food lists weren't great. You know, I, I'm a cook. I, I love food. I love entertaining. And I couldn't work with it. 
Um, but once I met Mark and Ali and discovered their research and the low fermentation eating plan, um, I mean, I, I feel like I, you know, got very lucky there. Is there any particular favorite recipe that you cook on a regular basis? Yeah, you know, bizarrely enough, my the most useful recipe in the book um, in our household was the tzatziki and the cashew base because it's so hard to find a dairy-free, lactose-free tzatziki. And we love um, Greek food and Mediterranean food in our house. Um, and the base of that can also be used for desserts. So chocolate mousses and um, and like a whipped cream for fruit. It's a really versatile base recipe. So I love that. And I wanted, again, this book came out of necessity. It was, it, this is exactly what my family eats. So how are we going to take our family favorites like pizza? I have a pizza oven and make pizza for our kids once a week, for instance. And I refuse not to be part of that process. So, okay, what are lo uh, low lactose or lactose free cheeses and what's the combination and how can we get the gooey factor a little bit? Um, so it took a bunch of trial and error and, you know, my kids being grossed out here and there, which will hopefully benefit everyone who has SIBO. Well, we came up with some really great recipes that scratch that craving itch. Most SIBO patients just want the textures of their comfort foods, you know, like the macaroni and cheese. The macaroni and cheese recipe is brilliant because it really does have the gooey texture and um, it's a great comfort food. I love that one. And our test cook, um, Misty, who's credited in the book, she did so, I mean, she worked so hard to get some of these recipes right. I mean, we've tested each one sometimes a hundred times, you know, between, and we had testers across the country. Um, at some point, somebody said to me, well, the altitude is different and cooking, cooking techniques are different. And I thought to myself, dear God, I've never written a cookbook again. Okay, fine. Let's test them everywhere then. <laughs> Um, so we put a ton of work into this to make sure that all the recipes are fairly easy. Um, most of them are just a few ingredients and that they'll satisfy, you know, friends, family. Uh, another, another huge point I had during all of this was to have dinner parties. You know, I wanted to have people over and not feel like I had to make three different meals. So all the recipes in this book will not hurt anyone's GI issues. If you have SIBO, if you have IBS, if you have any version of IBS or SIBO, you're fine. The only disorder that, um, that we do not cover is celiacs because we, we use flour yeah. um, in the book. But apart from that, these recipes won't hurt anyone's GI symptoms. I was going to ask you about the all-purpose flour, which I do know that you use in this. Um, and I, I have heard that for those people that you have SIBO or IBS, having gluten in your diet is not a good thing regarding bloating and everything like that. I'm curious, did you, what does the doctors or 
Ali, is that, what are your thoughts on that? Um, the doctor's research does not suggest that gluten um, hurts or, or, or um, exacerbates SIBO or IBS symptoms, um, but I don't know. Again, it, it never affected me. It's easily digestible, which is the crux of the whole the whole diet. You know, you want you want to keep your small intestines clear of any debris. Um, and, and flour does go through your system fairly quickly, but I mean, yeah, I've, I've read lots of things about gluten. I don't, my mother has celiac disease, so we don't really, we try not to have gluten, particularly when she's around. Um, I'm not a huge fan. You know, I try to stick to um, proteins and and vegetables and salads. And now that I don't have SIBO, I can um, eat everything. So again, the way I was eating when I wrote the book is very different than how I'm eating now. Um, I don't have SIBO anymore. So bring on the beans and cruciferous vegetables. But (laughs) some people, for some people that won't. That won't happen for a long time. How um, long did your diagnosis take and and your healing process? Actually, it took a while. Uh, so I discovered that I had SIBO. I went to a naturopath here and I told the naturopath all my signs and symptoms and she figured it out that I had it. She put me on these sort of natural healing medication things. Like I went, I had to do some crazy things like eat cloves of garlic, just straight. It was not fun, that side of things. Uh, but then I just found Dr. Stephen Gundry's diet, the plant paradox. And I went on that one, which is mostly keto based. So I cut out a bunch of nasty carbohydrates, looked at lectins and where they can be found in certain food groups. A lot of it is found in wheat products. Uh, so I went off all that. And then uh, basically it took several months towards, if not a year, of me just being consistent of eating Dr. Gundry's diet, following that for my system to fully reset itself. Uh, And then I sort of went off Dr. Gundry's diet for a, a bit of time and then sort of just started going on what I called the freedom diet. So being able to have a bit more freedom with the kind of different foods that I would eat. So I'm a sucker for cookies and donuts and uh, pizzas and, you know, all these good, good things <laughs> uh, and trying to just, you know, in, enjoy my life. Cause my philosophy is, you know, you only live once and I don't want to be living my life, not being able to eat these things uh, all my life. And I think my SIBO ended up, I think I went a bit overboard. <laughs> I think my SIBO ended up returning. So now last year, actually, which is when they discovered that I had esophagitis, esophilic, I can never say it properly, esophilic esophagitis in my esophagus, which is they weren't even really looking for it. Uh, I had the the inflammation in the esophagus with someone my age is like nothing he's really ever seen before in some of my age. He's only seen it in someone that is like 65, which presents more commonly. 
And I'm like, yeah, I'm a phantom, mate. I'm uncommon. <laughs> I don't do things by the textbook. Uh, but then I sort of, uh, it, it got even worse. And I think I started getting brain fog. Uh, the, the gut wasn't great. A lot of bloating. And yeah, it's about this year, right? So I've started to really go back on the, the proper diets, but I've been trying your, your cookbook recipes. I was telling you just before we started this, the, the, um, the eggs and leek one, I love leek. So if you do anything with leek in it, I'm a huge fan. So thank you so much for allowing leek to be a part of it. <laughs> um, but I've been noticing that I'm getting a little bit better, but I'm still not all the way there yet. So it can, if you're not careful, it can come back. So please be careful and don't go too crazy on cookies or donuts or all those things. <laughs> It's a long process, you know, and uh, luckily Dr. Rezai was, you know, entertained my, my holistic approach as well. At some point he put me on, um, herbal antibiotics. Yep. He, you know, of course you guys spoke the other day, but perhaps you have another conversation about your, your diagnosis with him. He, um, he really is an inspiring, inspiring guy. Um, he's not, he's always interested in listening to other people's research and incorporating, um, Western approach, Eastern approach. And so, um, no, I'm incredibly grateful to him because if, as you said, the trickiest part is feeling a little bit better and then going overboard and eating foods that you really shouldn't be eating. Food is the most important thing you need to focus on when you have SIBO. Yeah. I think over the medication, in my experience, it's the food that, um, that healed me and not any antibiotic. Food is medicine. And I noticed the same thing with the medication that I did go on with even the naturopath that didn't work. So, but then the moment I changed the sort of foods that I was eating, I started to notice that change. But then, like I said, I did the dumb thing of feeling better and then going overboard because yeah, <laughs> it's just my, uh, my stupid choice there. But anyway, that's, that's for me to, to sort of work on at the moment. Uh, but it's good that you've got, I've been blessed enough to have this. So I, I love cooking too. So I'm a huge um, fan of cooking and experimenting. My family says it's, it's nuts because you never know what, what Jay's going to cook <laughs> one night, if it's going to be good or bad. <laughs> so you hope that it's going to be good. But anyway, uh, how long did it take you to officially heal your SIBO? Um, about three years. Wow. Three years. And I had, um, so similar to your story, I felt better. Um, and then I would start exploring with new foods. And of course it came back. Um, and that happened twice. And I did the elemental diet three times in the course of three or four years. Um, so a combination of really resetting my gut, um, and giving my, my small intestine a break and killing that bacteria, you know, cause what you don't want, what you don't want is for food to sit in your digestive system, right? That 
bacteria will ferment and and grow more and more bacteria. So the purpose of the elemental diet was not to have anything in my digestive system essentially for for 28 days. Um, it's a brutal protocol, but for me, for me, it really knocked it out towards the end because after about two and a half years, I got really fed up with the back and forth and the back and forth. Um, and Dr. Rezai said, all right, if you're crazy enough to do the elemental diet again, and sure enough, I was. Um, but another interesting point is when I traveled, uh, my husband's mm -hmm. English, and when we went to Europe, um, all my symptoms went away. Wow. And yeah, the foods I was eating on the low fermentation eating plan in Europe versus the foods here, let's say even pasta or um, low lactose food like Parmesan's and, and that kind of dairy, the, the quality is just so much different. I was even able to eat um, lactose pro uh, products in Europe and not have symptoms. I was able to eat different carbohydrates in Europe and fruits and vegetables that I couldn't eat in, in New York. So, and I asked uh, Mark Pimentel about this, and he told me that um, that they're starting to look at genetically modified foods, and you know American food sources are so poor um, that it does add to to not being able to heal fast enough. So I mean, we can go on and on. The food, the food in America is just yeah. I was watching uh, several videos, actually. I don't know if you've seen any of them, but I think it's Food Insider. What they'll do is like they'll do a comparison between the UK and US foods, between like fast food restaurants. But they also do like this food science recreation section where they get like a McDonald's uh, Big Mac and then they recreate it based on all the ingredients that McDonald's has actually listed. And some of the chemicals that they put in the burger to make it look good and taste good, it is scary as. And I mean, I was watching the other day the, the Domino's pizza one, and I'm like, just for a pizza, the kind of chemicals they put in that thing, uh, there was one of them that if you have, uh, it, it basically, I forgot what chemical it is, but if you put your wisdom tooth, in it, it dissolves your wisdom tooth within a couple of hours. And people are actually eating this stuff. Um, now, granted, it was like a, a pretty decent sized cup of, of this chemical, but they're still putting that chemical in the food, which you're digesting. And if you eat a lot of Domino's pizza, which majority of the American diet do, and this chemical, by the way, is not just in Domino's pizza, it's in a lot of other fast food uh, foods, then you're going to basically dissolve your gut slowly but surely over a period of time. And a lot of people, like Dr. Ali was saying, they're walking around with SIBO or with uh, digestive problems and they have no idea. Like, so I, the, the American, I won't touch fast food here in Australia because I just don't. And then when I go shopping, I don't know if you do this too, Christina, but I'll look, I'll go to the back of the packaging and I'll look at all the ingredients. And if anything stands out that 
has anything that I don't, I can't eat, I just won't buy it. And so I've kind of become like a food scientist in a way (laughs) (laughs) when I go shopping. Um, But yeah. These days we're all virologists and food scientists, (laughs) everything, right? (laughs) Everything all in one encompassing. (laughs) Because when you get, when you have like a, a health illness, like this and you get re- you get interested in researching uh food groups and all that sort of stuff like it just helps when you go shopping on what not to buy and what to buy <laughs> in my opinion is terrifying like you know we're, we're just killing ourselves eating eating fast food and genetically modified foods and all of these chemicals and so much of the population has just has just decided to deal with these symptoms, you know, and, and they, everyone thinks that a pill will solve everything. And that is just not the case. And the medications making it worse and, and then on and on and on, we go in a circle, yeah. uh, quite terrifying. I feel like nutrition should be more of a focus in schools in, in elementary school and high school and children should be educated more. Yeah. Proper nutrition, actually, another you know, kind of nutrition we're saying because they're like it's the the, the the food triangle whatever it is the food pyramid they talk about yeah that the lobbyists have designed for us I mean, yeah it's all good okay lobbyists. we're not going to get into politics we're going to no. stick to the <laughs> <laughs> exactly right but christina your new book the good life cookbook people can go and get a copy where do you want people to get a copy of his book I mean, you can get it anywhere that books are sold, Amazon, um, whatever your favorite provider is. I'll make sure that everyone knows where to get a copy of this too, because I think it's brilliant. And I especially love the back where you mention all the foods that you should eat and the ones that you can't, because then it makes my ingredients list so much better (laughs) when I go shopping, uh, because I know what to look for. But um, how... So... What were some of the challenges before I let you go? I know your time is very valuable. What were some of the the main challenges that you discovered when doing this cookbook? Because I know it took you so many years to actually get it finished. Um, some of the challenges finding finding you know supplementary ingredients that worked in the recipes I couldn't eat anymore. You know, like the the con- the combination, the playing with um, with the ratio of cheeses for the pizza, for instance, or the mac and cheese, like how, how are you going to, to, to scratch the itch of your craving, but yet still stay within the parameters of low fermentation eating. And, um, I, I can honestly say we did it. We did it with all of the recipes. It took a really long time. Um, but I hope, I really hope people will like it. I've, uh, would you believe that I've read all the recipes? You, I, I can't believe that because I haven't either. About two weeks before the publisher um, asked us to submit the final copy, our COO and I sat there, or she did most of the work, to be honest, and we like triple checked all of the copy editing and found all of these mistakes. And of course, you know, we're grateful that we did it. So I'm terrified of reading it now that it's printed and finding a mistake. So if anyone finds a mistake, do not tell me. Let's just ignore it. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm glad I, did, you did. <laughs> I did go through it all 
Uh, I didn't find any mistakes in my opinion. So there you go. I think you can relax a little bit, but that's just, that's just me. <laughs> um, but anyway, I think it's a brilliant book and I highly encourage people to go and get a copy of it. I will make sure that everyone knows where to get it. But Christina, this is my final question for you. This is my all-time favorite question. I love asking all my guests at the very end. It is a hypothetical question, but I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic for the sake of argument. But they've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? I hope I hope it says that I, I helped change some people's lives for the better. Um, you know, excluding my kids, who I'm sure will, um, will punish me for, for how I raised them and spend countless years in therapy. But for the rest of the population, for, for everyone else I try to help, I hope that, um, that that's true and that um, we do make some people's life easier here with the book and any other project that I do. It's a great send-off message for people. Go and help support Christina and amazing work by getting a copy of her book, connect with her on Instagram and on the website too, all the amazing things. But Christina, thank you so much for your time today, for the conversation. I really enjoyed it. And for joining me on the Storybox podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.